Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. If she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Now, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, as we've talked about this already, I just felt like God said we need to spend one more week on this topic about how we need to understand that the scripture says that we're to serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Too many of us have never been taught this. And so most Christians try to follow a set of rules of right and wrong as Christians instead of following Jesus. I did this myself for most of the early years of my Christianity and even into the early years of my ministry as a pastor. I would spend most of my time checking with God to make sure I was doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And how am I doing? And then beating myself up because I wasn't doing as good as I thought I should. And God, please, you know, give me grace and I'm going to try to do better for you. And, and, and those of us who have been pastors, you know that most of our counseling appointments are people coming and saying, is this a sin? Is this a sin? And we spend all of our time trying to please God by going back to the law instead of the new way of the spirit. And we've not been taught that. Now, I'll tell you right now, this is hard because we, we want rules. We don't want rules, but we want rules because then we can measure ourselves against those rules to see how well we're doing. But Jesus has made a promise to us that he will take care of the rule following if we just walk with him. Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, for those of you that are uh, going go to, go to church here on Mother's Day, May 8th, and if you don't, you're welcome to come here. I'm going to be bringing a message here at, at LifePoint from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And I'm going to blow up what most of us have been taught our whole lives. And I'm going to show you that in Matthew 4, 18 and 19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. Yet we've been taught to focus on evangelism. We've been taught to make that our focus and to go out and to reach and to preach and to tell. Yet Jesus said, no, your focus should be me. Walk with me and I will actually make you fishers of men. And I'm going to walk you through a lot of the passages that we've heard over the years to guilt us into. You got to go tell everybody and show you that those passages always were telling us to go focus on Jesus. And, I, and when you see it, it's going to be so freeing. And you're going to find yourself actually being used by God more in evangelism as you stop trying to evangelize and you just learn how to walk with Jesus. And I can't wait to share it with you. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're interested, that'll be May 8th when I'm here at LifePoint in the two services. 
But again, like I said, we've, m- most Christians today have never been taught how to walk in the new way of the Spirit, to serve God in the new way of the Spirit versus the old way of the written code. And we seek wisdom from teachers and pastors as to what is allowed instead of reading God's Word for ourselves and consulting the Spirit within us. It's, it's our natural inclination, and we have to learn how to unlearn it to be able to learn how to walk in the Spirit in a biblical way. And unfortunately, there are too many teachers and preachers out there who will gladly give you their list to follow. And when I say teachers and preachers, you heard me say people like me. And yes, there are people like me out there who will give you their list to follow. And they even set themselves up in their camps as to, well, where there's people to follow these rules and where these people to follow these rules. And there are the whole denominations that are set up because we're this denomination that follows these rules and we're this denomination because we don't follow those rules, we follow these rules. But let me say something to you. We've said this for years. And I'm going to say it to you again, but I want you to hear it in a new way. In James chapter 3, verse 1, the scripture says, not many of us should seek to be teachers because those of us who teach will be in held, held in higher accountability. Do you not realize right now that when you go on social media and you pontificate about how you think Christians ought to be acting, how they ought to vote, how they ought to, whether they go to Disney or not, whether they should be vaccinated or not, whether they should wear masks or not, and you share your opinion from your quote-unquote Christian perspective, you have now made yourself a teacher of the Word of God. Be careful. I'm going to take you with me. Go to Romans 14. I'm going to say this to you in love. Don't be one of those people. Because without realizing it, you're trying to put people back under the law when they should be, you should be telling them, what is Jesus saying? What does God's word say? What is Jesus telling you in this situation? And to teach them how to follow him. Romans 14, listen to verses 1 through 12. Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Let me stop here real quick. What he's saying to us is this. In the church, amongst believers, there's going to be people that don't all see things the exact same way. Some people are going to have a deeper understanding of the spiritual truths. Others aren't going to be quite there yet. And we should not get together to make sure that everybody's where we are. Because he's going to say, as you're about to hear, that's God's job. All right? Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you? To pass judgment on the servant of another, it is before his own master that he stands or falls, listen closely, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let me stop real quick. I had the privilege a couple weeks ago of preaching in my home church at First Marion Island from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, our pastor's been going through the book of Galatians verse by verse, and he asked me to take the certain section. And by the way, the section of scripture that he gave me to preach was the verses in chapter five where Paul talks about the false teachers that came in and were teaching them they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And he gave me the verses where Paul said, I wish they'd cut the whole thing off. But in that section, in verse 10, as Paul is sharing his frustration with those who have come in and tripped them up a little bit in their following of Jesus, I love what Paul says. He says this, I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view and that whoever is bothering you will pay the penalty, whoever he is. Did you catch that? 
Paul said, you know what? The one who began the good work in you is going to finish it. And you might have stumbled a little bit because you've had false teachers come in and trip you up a little bit. But you know what? If you're really saved, I have confidence in the Lord. You'll end up where you're supposed to be. Anybody else here has fallen into legalism a few times in their life? But God's kind of helped you get out of it, hasn't he? And I love how he's saying the same thing here. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Remember, we're all trying to serve the Lord in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls, and the Lord is able to make him stand. He'll be upheld. The Lord's going to take care of it. In other words, you've got to stop making it your responsibility in your mind to make sure everybody else sees the same things you do politically the same things you do socially, the same things you see, things when it comes to the word of God, you've got to see it like I see it. That's the Lord's job. And part of learning to live in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code is to stop looking around at whether or not everybody's following the rules. Romans 14, verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Listen closely. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observe it, observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord. Did you catch that? That he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 4, he doesn't even waste time judging himself. The Lord's the one who's going to take care of that. He goes, I don't know of anything against myself. That doesn't mean I'm thereby acquitted. But the Lord is going to judge and disclose man's hearts on that day of judgment. Folks, you want to be set free? Stop putting yourself back under the old way of the written code and stop judging everybody else whether or not you think they're meeting the written code and learn how to walk in the new way of the Spirit where you walk with Jesus, you spend time in His Word, and you allow Him to speak to you and lead you and guide you as you go. That's in this passage. He said, some people feel like, because back then, a lot of meat in the market had been offered to idols. They didn't feel comfortable eating it because it made them feel uncomfortable. Well, then don't eat it. As long as you're doing it because that's the way you feel comfortable worshiping the Lord. Lord, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. But at the same time, if others say, like Paul said, you know and I know that meat was offered to the wind. There's no other gods but God. I'm free to eat it. And I worship the Lord by feeling free to eat it. Both are okay. Both are okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we have to be okay with the fact that as strongly as you believe some things, that doesn't mean that that's how God wants everybody else to see it. And are you okay with the fact that you have a brother and sister who may even sit next to you in church who don't see it though you see it? Now, let me also say this. They also might be wrong. Whose job is to get them there? The Holy Spirit. Point them to Jesus. He's the one that's going to get them where it is. I love how Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ more. And those of you who are mature will take no other view. But if you do, 
The Lord will get you there. The Lord will get you there. I love how Paul didn't make it his ministry to go root out those false teachers. He warned you false teachers over and over, but he said, I'm not going to waste my time going after rooting out the follow, the, those false teachers. You know why? Because if Paul had taken, made his ministry rooting out the false teachers, he would have stopped following Jesus. And Jesus says, I got the false teachers. I'll take care of them. Vengeance is mine. Don't you worry about them. By the way, wasn't Paul one of those false teachers? God was able to take care of him, wasn't he? Folks, I'm telling you, the sooner we allow this truth to sink in, and tonight as we go a little further, hopefully you're going to see it even more. The sooner we allow this truth to sink in, hopefully the sooner we'll start to realize much of what we call Christianity is actually the old way of the written code and not the new way of the spirit. Go over to chapter 14, verses 17 through 23. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Did you catch that? The kingdom of God is not a matter of whether you eat or drink the right things, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing, upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's take that one day more sacred than another real quick to help you understand, put it into today's terms. How many of you have ever heard a preacher say, especially on Easter Sunday, every day is Easter Sunday? We've all heard that, haven't we? And actually, every day is Easter Sunday. We, we live with the risen Christ within us. Do we have to have an Easter Sunday service? No, we really don't. But there are those who consider that day more sacred than another. And for the sake of unity in the body of Christ, we're going to have a, an Easter Sunday service for the masses. Why? Because some brothers and sisters need that. And those of us who don't need it, we're okay with going to church anyway because it's just like every other day. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the balance of it? But do you see how damaging it would be if we who understood that every day is alike? Everything's done to be done to the glory of God. There's no sacred and secular. There's not one day more sacred than another. Yet at the same time, if someone thinks it is, they better be okay with that and do it because they're doing it to the Lord. And those of us who don't, we would do damage if we said to everybody, well, if you guys were all like me, you'd see it as well as I see it, that every day is alike. This is foolishness. We'd do a lot of damage to the body of Christ, wouldn't we? Do you understand? That's why those of you who are stronger in your understanding and your faith, don't look down on your brother who's not there yet, or your sister that's not there yet. And those of you who are not there yet, who don't understand how your brother could be so free to do those things that make you uncomfortable, don't judge them either. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's happening right now, even worse and worse. It's happening in the world. And unfortunately, as I travel around the country, it's tearing churches apart. 
And Christians are doing damage to each other on social media right now. And without realizing it, they're presuming to be teachers. When you tell everybody else how they ought to vote, whether or not you think they should be. How many times have I heard ladies writing things on Facebook? I can't believe that lady let her daughter wear that and put that online. Is that your kid? Is that your call? Well, if she's a really good Christian, she would understand. Do you see what I'm saying? It's in all of us. Our natural inclination is to go back to the old way of the written code and not in the new way of the spirit. Go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Let me show you how Jesus began to unlock this as well. Matthew chapter 12. Look at verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, don't miss what's going on here. Jesus is on the Sabbath day, and he's walking through a grain field, and some of his disciples are hungry. They take a, some, some uh, stalks of grain, and they pluck the grain, and they do this with their hands and separate the wheat and the chaff, and they blow the chaff away, and then they eat the grain. But before we go any further, where are they right now when this happens? In a grain field. And who jumps out from behind the stocks? Aha! The Pharisees happen to be in the grain field, probably watching to see. Hope they don't eat. They better not eat something. Do you see what I'm saying? How many of you sit around watching your brother and sister to see? Oh, I see. That's Pastor Troy. Let's see if he runs this red light. They jump out and they said, these guys just broke the Sabbath laws. They've, they, they've harvested. They've threshed. That's work. They broke the Sabbath. And Jesus says, um, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you remember the story in the Bible? And I'm pretty sure I know you do, Pharisees, because you got the Bible pretty good in your head there. Don't have it in your hearts, but you got it in your head. Remember how David was hiding from Saul and he went and he looked for food and they didn't have anything in the temple except the showbread or the tabernacle, the showbread, which was only, according to the law, legal for the priest to eat. And then he says, and on top of that, um, his men weren't allowed to eat it either, but they all ate it, and they are guiltless. And have you never noticed that every Sabbath in the temple, the priests break the Sabbath laws and are guiltless? He goes, you're condemning people because you think you're teachers of the law and you don't understand the point and the purpose of the law. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Actually, it was all pointing to me and something greater than the Sabbath is here. There are still denominations that think Saturday is the only day you can worship and that's the Sabbath and they've made their whole denomination on it. 
But the Bible clearly teaches that whenever you rest from your work to save yourself and trust completely in Jesus, that's what the Sabbath rules and regulations and laws were pointing to. When God rested from his work and we rest from ours, the book of Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. And Jesus says, you're getting so caught up on the law You've missed the whole point of the law and what it was all pointing to. And you've also missed something else. As the scripture teaches, once you move from the purpose of the, the original purpose of the law to what it was pointing to and to who it was pointing to, we're no longer under the law. And then he says something very interesting. He said, I want you to go back and look at Hosea 6. Six. Go with me to now. That's what he says here. He says, he says uh, and if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. Go to Hosea chapter 6 and look at verse 6. Hosea chapter 6, look at verse 6. God says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Let me ask you a question. Was this written before the law or after the law? It was written after the law was given. And God said, even though I'm the one who instituted the law and the sacrificial system and all that stuff, I actually prefer and am looking more for steadfast love than sacrifice, and the knowledge of me rather than burnt offerings. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. We were just in Matthew 12, where Jesus says, I'm someone greater than the Sabbath is here, and you guys are totally missing the whole point of the law. In Matthew chapter 9, look at verses 9 through 13, and you'll see him quote from Hosea 6, 6 again. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, as Matthew comes to become a follower of Jesus, he quickly invites all of his friends to come meet Jesus and to follow Jesus if they would choose to. And the Pharisees are saying he's eating with sinners. By eating with them, he's acting like he approves of their lifestyle. He never approved of their lifestyle. But he also wanted to go reach out to them and love them so they can come to know who God is and know the love of God. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Yet Christians are saying, boycott. In other words, just have nothing to do with that world that's sinful. Well, hang on for a second. If you go to 1 Corinthians 6 later on, you can double check me. Paul says, um, I told you in my first letter not to associate with a brother who is living in sexual immorality. Not at all meaning the people of this world. Otherwise, we'd have to leave the world. He says, no, no, no. Don't leave the world. 
go love them. We should never approve of what they're doing. But the whole instinct to pull away and have nothing to do with them, because we don't want to make it look like we approve. Are we acting like Jesus? Or are we acting like the Pharisees? Now, again, if you don't feel comfortable shopping at Target, I could name names, or going certain places, you better not do it. I'll get right to you in a second. You better not do it because anything not done by faith is sin. But once you get online and start telling everybody else they're not to do that either, You've now made yourself a teacher of the law and you're trying to put Christians back under the law and to serve in the old way of the written code, not in the new way of the spirit. Go ahead. I've often heard it in church, but they're brothers and sisters in Christ only that you're supposed to hang around with. Say, well, what about the other people? Aren't they related to us? We all come from Adam. And they said, oh, no, we're, there's a difference. We're only brothers and sisters in Christ. Unfortunately, well, the, these other people aren't our family in Christ, yeah. but... We are to be in the world. They are children. Of, they're not our brothers. The world is not our brothers and sisters. They're not because they're children. But we're to love them for sure. They're in. They're in. They're, in, they're Satan's children. That Jesus said. But we're still to go reach out and love them. Jesus came to save sinners. He goes. I didn't come to save the, the sick. I mean, so the healthy, but the sick. I came to reach out. He came for the world, and we should have that same mindset. We're trying to make the world act Christian without the Spirit. It's not going to happen. But we can't act like Christians if we just stick with Christians. It, you're right. Some people have said the salt's no good if it stays in the salt shaker. Exactly. Yep. Now, with this in mind, the Old Testament and many other places taught that God didn't expect obedience to the law as making you right with him, but simply walking with him in obedience. In other words, this not serving in the old way of the written code, but serving in the new way of the spirit is not something new. It's been taught in the Old Testament all along. We just saw one place, right? I desire the knowledge of me more than I do sacrifice and all that. Go to, go to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, look at verses 6 through 8. God's just brought an indictment. If you read verses 1 through uh, 5, he's just brought an indictment against Israel. They're guilty. And this is their response. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, calves a year old? Well, maybe that's not enough. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With maybe, maybe that's not enough. Maybe 10,000 of rivers of oil. Maybe that's not enough. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What does he want me to do? Look at verse 8. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We quickly want to then sit down and write down a bunch of rules. This is what doing justice means. And this is, you see what I'm saying? We, we want to be like the Pharisees when the law said, oh, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. If you remember, that's what all the law said was honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And you shall not work on these days, but rest. The Pharisees came in and wrote 300 extra rules on how to honor the Sabbath and not work and keep it holy. And if you wanted to, you can go look online at some of them. They're almost comical. But there are devout Jews today that on Friday night before Sabbath time, which starts at 6 p.m., will go into their bathrooms and pre-tear off sheets of toilet paper and stack them up 
in case they have to use the bathroom on Sabbath because it's against the law to tear off a piece of toilet paper according to some of their laws. They're trying to serve, or flip a light switch. There, there are Sabbath elevators and unsabbath elevators if you've been to Israel. Let me just tell you, they're trying to serve God by the written code instead of in the new way of the Spirit. But the, the new way of the Spirit has actually been what the Old Testament has been teaching all along. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at verse 4. Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his what? Faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. We, we've said it before. I'll remind you of it. In Psalm 51, after David had sinned with Bathsheba, he cried out to God and said, wash me clean. I'm a sinner. I've been a sinner since birth. And then in verses 16 and 17, he says this. He says, if you desired sacrifice, that's what I do right now to make it right. But you, what you desire is a contrite heart and a broken spirit, a repentant attitude that you won't despise. So all along in the Old Testament, it had been teaching that God wanted us to walk with him and to follow him, not Try to be right with him by the law. Go to Matthew 23. Look at verses 23 and 24. Matthew 23, 23 and 24, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, the deeper matters, what it was really talking about, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides. You're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. How often have we done damage in the church because we've been more focused on the rules than we are about people and relationships? How many families have been Chased away from the body of Christ because some rule judge got on a kid because he was running in the halls. And the kid didn't know any better. What's more important, that the kid follow the rules? Or did that kid know that he's loved? And this is a place where he'd want to be. Well, the, we, we've got to think of the older people that could have tripped over them and all this. But again, we, we, we come up with our ways to justify wanting everyone to follow the rules. And we like to be the people who set the rules. Go to Mark chapter 12. Something neat happens in Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. I'm going to give you a quiz on this passage, so look at it closely. Mark chapter 12, verses, this will be on the test. Mark chapter 12, look at verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up to Jesus, and he heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. 
You have truly said that he, God, is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. All right, here's your quiz. It's a couple of parts to your quiz. First question, who was it that came up and asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? A scribe. The scribes know anything about the law? <laughs> they wrote it down. They knew it. They were the lawyers. And he said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, you do understand that love, there's Lord is only one. There's no other besides him. And that we're to love him with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves." And the guy actually says, actually, Jesus, you're right. Because to love God, the fact that there's no other God but him is right. And to love him with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourself is more important and greater than all the law and all the sacrifices. How did the scribe come to that understanding? Besides the Holy Spirit, what did the scribe have besides the Holy Spirit to bring him to that conclusion? The word of God, knowledge from the law. In other words, this scribe got it from the law. Why? Because the law had been saying this all along. The people that missed it were the ones who thought the law was going to make you right by doing every little detail of it. And without realizing it, you and I gravitate back to that still. We all do. And as you're going to see in just a little bit tonight, it also was one of the biggest problems in the early church as well as it is today. And I'm going to probably blow your mind tonight by reading to you a bunch of scriptures from the New Testament that showed most of what Paul had to deal with was this very issue of Christians trying to put other Christians back under the law. But before we go on, here's the last part of your quiz. He got the answer right. He said Jesus was right, and he got it right. But Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What did he lack? Well, definitely get it in here. I think he still understood that in his heart. What did he lack? You said it. Say it louder. Following Jesus. Remember, all of it was pointing to who? Someone greater than the Sabbath is here. It was pointing to Jesus. I can show you what I mean. Go to John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. In other words, God's opened your eyes to this truth, but now you need to do something about it. Just like in John 9, Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man. He then said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, show me who he is. Tell me who he is, and I'll believe in him. And he says, I'm he, and he then worshiped him. The guy's eyes had been opened, but he still had to respond in faith to what it was pointing to. In John chapter 6, look at verses 28 and 29. They said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Understanding that sacrifice ain't going to get me right with God is wonderful, but it doesn't save you. You've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one it was pointing to. Now, let me ask you a question now. All, I'm assuming most everybody in here is saved. I believe all of you probably are. 
Again, it's not my call. It's between you and the Lord. But I'm pretty sure that if you're willing to come up and put up with me on a Wednesday night, that's gonna, God's got to be in you to give you the grace to do that. But let me, let me say this. What are the works you must do now to do what God requires of you as a Christian? Believe in the one that he sent. I thought I was already saved. No, no, no. I'm not talking believe in him to be saved. Trust him to guide you and to follow him daily. Sanctified. The sanctification process. But the sanctification process does not happen by you pulling out the Bible and turning it into a rule book. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Well, that the Bible talks about how we are to seek to have the evidence of our salvation add to these things, faith and love. You're talking 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. That's what you're talking. Make your calling and election sure. But, but if, I'm sorry? Yes, but he talks about in verse 13, for it's God who works in you. Yeah, exactly. We're to, we're to actually work in faith following him, believing that he's the one who's going to do it. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and. And so in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, in the same way in which you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in him. The problem is, and you are correct, the scripture says that we're to take serious this relationship. We want to quickly come along and say, well, if you're taking this relationship seriously, you will read your Bible every morning at 6 o'clock. And if you are taking it serious, you'll talk to three different people today about your faith. You see what I'm saying? We then add a set of rules. I've talked about this before, but some of you remember when you joined the church, they gave you envelopes. And do you remember the little check boxes on the envelopes? I read my Bible. I did my Sunday school lesson. Folks, working to do those things is not going to make you closer to Jesus. But if you strive to get closer to Jesus in faith, he will empower you, verse 13, to do those things. And you actually will follow the law. You will do all that. But you don't get better by going back under the law and making sure everybody else is under the law. Go ahead. The scripture that says that many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. Didn't I do this? And didn't I do that? Their faith was in what they did, not him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. What I'm talking to you about, I have preached at churches around the country. And I've had pastors come and sit me down and say, Jim, I know what you're saying is biblical. But you can't tell them. This is what they say. Because if you tell people that it's not the rules, it's new way in following Jesus, they're going to abuse it. They're going to say that Jesus said they can do things that he didn't say that they could do. Or they're going to be lazy because they're not going to work as hard. And I have learned that if I could put people under the rules, we can at least get some stuff done around here. You know what? You can get stuff done in the flesh, but it counts for nothing before God. And is grace abusable? Yes. Or it wouldn't be grace. Go ahead. leadership is afraid of putting... The spirit in charge. The church leadership isn't afraid of putting the spirit in charge because we can't control it. Exactly. I was talking to a pastor this week about a small group that started to have some issues and probably might branch off. And we talked about the fact that because of that, a lot of churches don't allow small groups. 
even though small groups are some of the greatest ways for you to grow. But there's, there could be a problem. They might become their own little group. And so we don't want that. Exactly. Yeah, it does happen. Hey, our, and people do abuse grace. I, have, I wish I could tell you I haven't. But we got to trust that that same God is going to get them where they need to be, and it's not our job to make sure that you're doing it. I'm just glad that it's not my job to take care of Glenn. <laughs> I'd have quit a long time ago. But God is patient and merciful. Go ahead. I love you, Glenn. I love having you right there. You're a great illustration. Go ahead. Yes. There are times that people are to go tell a brother and a sister something, according to Galatians 6 1, but it says you who are spiritual. Right. So certain. There are times. Yes. All that's true. But that's why whenever you teach on this, people want to go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No, 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 relax. God takes care of all the butts, too. He's got that undercover. Let me say something. You brought up a very interesting point. I hadn't planned on chasing this, but I'm going to chase it real quick. We all heard preachers preach about Peter, and we'd say, that's what Peter did. Go be like Peter, right? And that's what Paul did. Go be like Paul. Be careful. There are some things that Peter did, like following Jesus wholeheartedly, that we can, we can learn from. But God might not call you to have the life Peter had or the life that Paul had. We've all been given different roles. Some are given five talents, others given two, others given one, each according to their ability. Guess what? That'll all get taken care of if I tell you to go follow Jesus. But a lot of preachers will give you seven steps to the Christian life. You've heard those sermons and you wrote them down and you said to go do it. And it didn't work. Go to Romans 7 now, verses 7 through 13. Romans 7, 7 through 13. I had a man for years, he's with the Lord now, but he didn't enjoy his time as a Christian. When I was his pastor, who he was tormented by that verse where Jesus said, unless a man is able to give up everything he has he can follow me, he can't be my disciple. And he kept tormenting himself over, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Oh, along that line, let me chase one more thing as well. You want to go back under the law? The Bible says in order to be right by observing the law, you have to keep the law perfectly. Let's take an example of someone that says, uh, how could a good Christian go to Disney or shop at Target or any company that, you know, promotes the homosexual agenda? And by the way, um, you want to go down that road? Again, if you don't feel comfortable in something, that's fine. But don't try to put everybody else under the law, because if you're going to go back under the law, you better do it perfectly. You better go find out every company that has an agenda. And there's many. You just watch your TV commercials and how you're doing on the perfection of it. You can't pick and choose which laws you're going to follow and everybody else has to follow, which ones you don't. You don't want to be under the law. You want to be under grace. Romans 7, verses 7 through 13, then what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. 
Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Unfortunately, we won't get to that tonight. We'll deal with that next week. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. In the time that we have left tonight, I'm going to bomb you with scriptures. And so you're going to need to write these down because you might not be able to keep up with me. Next week, we'll deal with how, what, what does this mean when it says I was alive until the law came and then, then I died? We'll deal with all that next week. But we must realize a couple of things. The law's purpose and the law's limits. The law had a purpose and it has limits. All right? And if you understand that, it will help you. And as you're about to see, the second thing I want you to see is this. You also, as I talked about earlier, the early church, most of their time was dealt with Christians trying to be brought back under the law in order to follow Jesus. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8, and then the first half of 9. 1 Timothy 1, verse 8, and the first half of verse 9. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this. That the law is not laid down for the just, the saved, but for who? The sinners, the lawless, the disobedient, and for the ungodly and the sinners. All right? So we got, we, we, the law is holy and the law is good, but it wasn't written for believers. It was written for the sinners. It had a purpose for the sinners. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. That's one of the law's limits. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right. So there's not only no condemnation. We'll get into all that when we get to Romans 8 for those of us who are in Christ. But Christ did what the law couldn't do. The law couldn't save us. Why? Because of our sinful flesh. Because of our inability in and of ourselves to be righteous, the law, I don't care how much it says, be righteous, be righteous, be righteous, and here's how you're righteous, it couldn't save you because it had a limit, and that limit was our sinful flesh. But Jesus came and did what the law couldn't do, and that he actually lived the sinless life, the perfection that the law required and he died in our behalf. And when we put our faith in him, we are given the righteousness that the law was pointing to. More when we get to chapter 8, especially when we get to that, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. We have to really look at that. But we'll deal with that when we get to chapter 8. Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 
Look at verses 1 through 18. And you're about to be probably shocked as I keep going as to how much the New Testament keeps pointing out the law had a purpose, but it's done. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, when he said above, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Now he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had suffered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. In other words, he said, look, you should have realized all along that the law couldn't make you righteous because if it did, why did they have to keep offering sacrifices? Because you're still not righteous. But when Jesus came, he made one sacrifice and he didn't do it anymore. And not only did he not do it anymore, what happened in the temple at the moment Jesus died? The veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. And if you know anything about it, there ain't a strong man on the earth that could have ripped that veil. Oh, but do you remember what the law said about that veil and about that holy place and how there was a holy of holies and there wasn't anybody even allowed in there and only the high priest, but only once a year and buddy, he better be covered in blood when he comes and be offering him blood. Yet at the moment Jesus died, all of those strict regulations of the law, which were pointing to what was going to come, someone greater than the law, it was removed. I've often wondered about this, and I've looked and looked, and I can't find anything, but I can almost guarantee you in the few years that were left before Jerusalem was destroyed that the Jews probably sewed it back up and put it back up. They probably did, don't you think? Oh, well, don't laugh at them. You and I have already testified that you and I, even though we've had it removed, we try to put it back. Go to Galatians chapter 3. I almost started preaching, James, but I don't have time. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verses 15 through chapter 4, 11. Now, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. 
It doesn't say into offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, excuse me, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after the promise to Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, before we go any further, remember how we just read in Hebrews? He did away with the first in order to establish the second. But if you know anything about what the scripture said, the second thing that he's referring to actually was the first first thing. It was made before the law was even given. God promised Abraham that righteousness would be given through his offspring. Jesus. And therefore, when the law came, it never annuls that first promise. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he does away with what the Hebrew writer calls the first thing to establish second, but it's actually the second thing to establish the first. Keep reading. Why then, verse 19, the law? Okay, then why was the law added? If the promise was already made, and the Old Testament's all been saying all along, it's not by sacrifice, but by following God in faith and being led of him that we're righteous. Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions. I'm going to deal with this more next week. Until the offspring to, to whom the, to come, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now that an intermediary implies more than one, but God's one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. There, as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Now, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers, babysitters, until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's the law. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, formerly, When you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. How many of you were taught that you had to follow Lent and you had to do all these things? I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I don't know if you caught this yet or not, but those of us who are still struggling with the law and feeling we have to be righteous by the law because the law is holy and God gave us the law and God's law said, do not, thou shalt not. And God's law said the Sabbath was holy and all these things. We're 
in our minds thinking that the law was the first thing God wrote. And then Jesus came. The law was, was written and given 430 years after Abraham had been given a promise about Jesus. Oh, and the promise about Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning in the garden when God had made the promise that a seed of the woman would destroy Satan. Folks, the law is not the first thing. It was written later. Now, in our time period in history, it was written so long ago, we think the law has always been, and that's the first thing God wrote. No. The law was written later for a purpose, which we'll explain next week. We'll close tonight in the two minutes we have left, and I can't believe we're going to make it. Go to Galatians chapter 3 real quick, and look at verse 3, and then we're going to jump to chapter 4, 21 through 31. Galatians 3, 3. Actually, we'll go to verses 1 through 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Jump over to chapter 4 of Galatians. We'll close with 21 through 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. That's where the law was given. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who, of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we're not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Do you all realize what was happening in the early church? Who was running around chasing down all these new believers and trying to put them back under the law? The law people. And just like Ishmael persecuted Isaac until the point where it was said, get him out of here. The same is going to happen. I'm going to tell you this right now. I've already touched on it just a little bit with how pastors have reacted to me teaching on grace. But when you try to live this way, don't be surprised if many in the church try to put you back under the law. Are we to fight them? Are we to root them all out? No. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, must gently instruct in hopes that God will bring him to an understanding. I'm still learning how to walk in the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. But you know what? The one who's getting me there, he'll get you there too. And he might not be in as much a hurry as I am. I love you. We'll see you next week.